If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. What's spooky with you? Everything's the same, but this. I've posted this as a comment before, and it's very personal. Full disclosure, I think 99% of MEs are just bad memory, generalization, and source amnesia. With all that being said, the following story shook me. I thought I was developing schizophrenia or something. I have this electric trimmer. It's a typical beard manscape trimmer. It took two AA batteries. I had changed the batteries many times. There was a door that slid down to change them. I had this trimmer for a long time. One day I went to use the trimmer and it was similar, but different. Now it used a plug-in charger with an internal battery. I asked my spouse when or why she bought it and where my other one was. She didn't know what I was talking about. We argued about it. That's the same trimmer you've always had. No, mine uses batteries. This one plugs in. It's always plugged in. I can't explain it. I have vivid memories of using that shaver, changing its batteries, the slide-down door to access the batteries. Apparently, it never existed. I still can't explain it. It's like I woke up one day Everything was the same, except my trimmer. I guess my spouse could have been gaslighting me or broke the other one and didn't want to admit replacing it. But even now, I can see and feel that stupid trimmer in my memory. Good day, my lovely Mandela affected. Happy November. Welcome back for another episode of the Paranorm Girl podcast. I'm your host, Kristen. I love fall. Fall is my jam. The crunching leaves, the busy yet kindler, gentler bustle of folks preparing for the winter and holidays and massive dinners and presents in the not-too-distant future. And that smell that just hangs in the crispy, quiet air. It's magical. Really hope you enjoyed the Halloween special. Don't know about you, but I got a bit spooked afterwards. It's set... A certain tone for me. 
Got me thinking about a few more topics, though, I would love to get into in the next season or so, so I will add them to the possibilities list, but I am still taking suggestions. Shoot them to me. I'm curious about it all, and we will cover it all in time, so I'm not that picky about what comes first. And I'm down to give one heck of a shout-out if I pick your idea. All right, enough with the himmin' and han. Let's get into it. Today, the episode is going to be a little different. We may have to go a bit longer as to cover it all. It's going to be a two-parter. First, we're going to cover a few more logical explanations for this phenomenon. I promised one for my skeptics, and this is it. We've already talked about things like false memory and confabulation, so we're going to focus on some other possibilities that we haven't covered at length yet. Some I haven't covered at all. But I want to make sure we've all got a good understanding of both sides here before I even step foot into any conclusions of any sort. So we'll get into it shortly. The second part of this episode, we're finally going to be covering the much-anticipated, highly touted by me, majorly misunderstood Mandela Effect flip-flop. This is such an interesting aspect to this phenomenon experienced by thousands of people all over. This aspect is actually the very reason for many that finally brought them over to the believer side of the entire phenomenon because they just couldn't explain what they were experiencing. So look forward to that. In the meantime, let's get started, shall we? First up, I want to talk about logo changes. These occur. Yes, you agree? Great. To major and minor brands alike. Keep in mind, though, especially for major brands with a recognizable logo, they're not going to be as keen to change their logo. Not if it risks business, right? The old adage applies here. Ain't broke, don't fix it. But of course, logo and trademark changes still happen for numerous reasons. When rebranding a company, making upgrades, bringing a fresh new take so as to make the company appear hip and in the now and know-how. Sometimes this is just the natural evolution of a brand. From companies like Facebook and Apple to FedEx and Shell, these companies have certainly transformed drastically from their original choice. How do we know? whether what we are experiencing is a logo change or an ME. Luckily for us nowadays, we have immediate and direct access to all sorts of information on the net. All one needs to do to verify for themselves when a certain trademark ever existed, ever changed, ever evolved in any way is go put their search into USPTO.report, which is a massive database of trademarks, patents, and copyrights and their application histories. For instance, Fruit of the Loom was being talked about over on a Reddit thread I randomly recently came upon, so I plugged that in just a bit ago. The memory so many are having with this one is that there was at one time a cornucopia nestled within the bunch of fruit. However, I can plug this into the USPTO site and clearly see from the upgrade update history on the trademark that it in fact has never contained one since the first trademark application submitted May 6 of 1922. The current day logo is outstandingly different and arguably better than that company's first rendering, but as I trace through each new incarnation, I see nothing about it that would have at any time 
made my young brain insert a cornucopia into the picture. When I talked about this one in episode 12, I mentioned if this was my brain making a weird connection, then I thought maybe it had to do with the image used around Thanksgiving that contains fruits and vegetables spilling from a cornucopia. I guess I still hold this belief as my logical reasoning, even though I securely and vividly recall exactly what that alternate Fruit of the Loom logo looks like. And you can find someone's recreation of this alternate logo anywhere you search Fruit of the Loom Mandela Effect online. Weird yourself out. Go search it. And then tell me that isn't exactly what you had in mind as well. You know, why aren't some people claiming they remember bananas in there? Or an actual cartoonized loom nestled in the fruit? I mean, at the very least, wouldn't that make sense? I'm not going to get into how at one point my young brain just automatically assumed that the cornucopia, because I didn't know what that was, must have been the loom. Because I didn't know what a loom was. But again, not getting into it. So... How are we having the same vivid recollection of what this logo looked like? It's astonishing, really. So, for the time being, FOTL will remain on the true Mandela effects list and not a good example of something people remember that can be explained by a simple trademark change. And while I suppose I can agree with online skeptics who spout trademark change off with a prepared plethora of other reasonable explanations behind the phenomenon, that logos changing can continue to be included in the realm of anti-ME possibilities, I haven't yet seen a good example of this being the case. If I state an ME and you argue logos change, and I verify that my ME hasn't changed in its entire history. The only thing that you can now argue is, well, sometimes it isn't reported, or things get lost in the mix, or there was a logo dispute so it wasn't documented, yada, yada, yada. At that point, I'm not sure who's being more of a conspiracy theorist. I suppose that can be true, yes. Maybe that's the case with the Ford logo. The current image is the word Ford encased in a blue sideways oval. The F contains a curly Q pig's tail flourishing off the end of the middle crossbar that people think is wrong. But the company claims on their own website that this specific detail has been a part of the logo since 1912. 1912. This is a tough one because there are tons of examples of the Ford logo not containing that little flourish floating around out there in the real world. And these do not appear to be very old, antique-type objects that would support the idea they were simply from, you know, a certain time period and it wasn't documented, whatever. Uh, were people just creating their own Ford logos and swag? If so, to what purpose? And just like the Ford company, even the creators of numerous other logos under Mandela Effect scrutiny will tell you that their logos have never changed. So ultimately, it is hard to take logo changes in itself seriously as an explanation. It just feels like sometimes people are throwing things at the wall and seeing if it sticks. I would feel differently if a good example of this happening with one of the more well-known Emmys today were to be reported anywhere that I could verify for myself. But alas, I don't know. Skeptics listening, prove me wrong here, please. 
Okay. Source amnesia was referenced in the story at the top of the show. What is it? It's exactly what it sounds like. You have forgotten the source of your information. Why would this cause us to misremember something? Because of the way our brains connect things together for us, not remembering where you learned something or who you learned it from can often lead to confusion, which can then lead to distortion of the actual memory itself. For example, you watched a show one time when you were a young kid about a family with a golden retriever who gets hit by a car. This is incredibly emotional for you at the time. You loved that dog. You cared about him. He was so damn cute and cuddly and loving and soft. And it was so sad when he died. But you go on with your life, storing this information away. Over time, you might forget that this was a fictional character you saw on TV. And in your later years, might recall that when you were a kid, you had had a pet golden retriever who you loved very, very much, who unfortunately was hit and died. You recall the event so clearly that this dog must have been your dog. Now, you might have already noticed that a majority of Mandela effects are things that people remember having learned in their childhoods. Source amnesia is something that children are especially susceptible to. We are so easily influenced at this time and with imaginations out the wazoo. Source amnesia is a very strong influence on our minds. Scientifically speaking, the same brain regions that involve visual imagery are the same ones that involve your visual perception. So... Just imagine how easy it could be, especially as a young child, to have seen, heard, imagined, or even dreamed something and integrated it to the point that it became part of our actual recollections. It's sound. I'll admit that. It doesn't quite as easily explain experiencing the Mandela effect for the first time as an adult or explain how a complete skeptic can be convinced that M.E. is actually real. Yes, that does happen. But I do actually consider source amnesia a very good argument against the Mandela effect. Aren't brains fun? All right, next up, mass misremembering. This is a widespread generalization believed by many a skeptic as an explanation for what is occurring here. Mass misremembering is kind of interchangeable with Mandela effect in their minds. But perhaps this is so because generalizing this entire phenomenon is just easier to do so rather than break it down to its individual parts, truly examine it. It gets written off so easily by labeling it so broadly. It could be argued even that Mass hysteria, which has been recorded throughout history, does not happen on the grand scale that M.E. does. M.E. is not an isolated event or happen to an isolated group of people. It's invasive. It can happen to anyone, anyone. And it does. Different genders, ages, backgrounds, professions— It occurs within different cultures, religions, regions of the world, political classifications, economic standings, people with the same upbringings, different upbringings, same worldviews, different worldviews, anyone. And there are so many people who are affected. If mass misremembering 
is the answer. And it can happen on such a grand scale. Who's to say that it isn't the skeptics of it who are having the false memories and these alternate versions didn't at one time exist? I don't know. Something to think about. All right. M.E. could be the result of us making but simple errors. I do actually believe that this one could be the cause for many of the smaller ones, but especially the grammatical and misspelling errors we are seeing. Our minds are constantly working to make shit make sense. It works overtime to fill in the gaps, to provide information using process of elimination, and to predict the future or an outcome using the information we have gathered over the course of our life and stored in our heads. Simple errors happen constantly. But especially with things that might be deemed as unimportant in our mind a misspelling, a different color, a movie line from something we may have only watched once 20 years ago and haven't thought about it up until now. Um, It's shocking to realize that how we remembered it happening or being spelled or being said isn't actually what happened or was spelled or said, but these errors happen. And finally, neurological conditions. This one isn't really touted anywhere as a reason as to what causes all of these false memories, and yet it kind of is. It is my understanding that across the skeptical side of all of this, that there's this like underlying belief that people who support ME being a real paranormal occurrence must all have something wrong with their brains. Again, This is not widely and loudly said online or in books on the subject, but all one has to do to begin to look at this phenomenon piece by piece, considering all that is being said out there about it and its believers. And it doesn't take long to understand that ultimately, that is what the true skeptics believe might be happening here. It's not paranormal. It's not conspiratorial. All of this can be explained and easily, and you just can't believe it because, well, there's something that's wrong inside your head. Now, being an experiencer myself of multiple MEs, I can say without a doubt that I don't have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or dementia. Not yet, anyway. And, of course, across the globe, I just don't think that every single believer has some sort of brain malfunction or disorder or damage that can support this skeptical notion. Again, this is not something that is necessarily said out loud, but I think it is worth mentioning as something inherently believed to be a logical causing effect. All right, that wraps up our non-paranormal section on this episode. Let's explore one final aspect of this phenomenon before wrapping up this subject. It is called a flip-flop. This could be one of the most intriguing parts to all of this. I hadn't been aware of it prior to working on season two, so I certainly had never experienced it for myself. Unlike what happened in season one, though, when I was oh so certain I might experience a shadow person for myself but did not, uh, timing is divine, man. I was finally able to experience my very own flip-flop. Suffice it to say, I was severely weirded out still am. 
I've been very lucky to have connected with someone who is very knowledgeable about ME and actually has a Twitch channel on some personal experiences with it, which I'll shout out in just a bit. But this person alerted me to a recent flip-flop that had me floored. I couldn't believe it had actually happened to me. And I couldn't believe how quickly people caught on to it. So, the original Mandela effect concerns the movie Interview with the Vampire. That is my original memory of the title, along with many, many other people. I saw this movie in the theaters after it was released in 1994. I went on with my life with the understanding and knowledge that that was the title of the film. There are a lot of discussions going on right now online about it, trying to figure out the time frame that this title originally changed. Unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a straightforward answer or time period that they will discover, because something has occurred to me directly influenced by this recent flip-flop development. I will get into my idea shortly, but let's just stick with the title for now. So, sometime over the past 27 years, this title changed to Interview with a vampire. It popped up in numerous lists that I was coming across. I confirmed with my own eyes when I was going through it that the title was, as of my researching it, Interview with a Vampire. The Mandela effect was that the had changed to a. I saw this online. I read this in the books I've been using. I saw videos talking about it. Well, wouldn't you know it? It just changed back like three weeks ago. It's back to its original version, Interview with the Vampire. When I learned this, I immediately scrambled to get to the websites. I had seen the alternate version. I popped open the books I had seen it, and I, I rewatched the videos, and I cannot explain to you how. They are all different now. It's like a light switch instantaneously flipped. It's still currently considered a Mandela effect, sure. However, something interesting and absurdly confusing has developed. Now, people are coming forward claiming that they simply remember the original title being Interview with a Vampire, and now that it's the vampire, it's only a once-changed Mandela effect for them. And this leads me fluidly into the idea that occurred to me. The reason it is so hard to nail down specific dates of when things change or change back is because I think they are changing and changing back at different times for different people. I'm not going to be able to get into it beyond that because the concept that has occurred to me has taken something quite simple in comparison, one tiny little change in a movie title, and exploded it into infinite possibilities that you just can't follow. And I don't feel like having an existential crisis at the moment. But curious as always what you guys think about this one. Let me know if you were affected by this flip-flop as well. Or is this the first time you are hearing that there was even an interview with the vampire M.E.? All right. Sorry to get all woo-woo serious on you guys. Mind still blown. Let me show you a few more instances of some widely reported flip-flops. From all of the examples I've come across, there are two massively reported ones that rise above the rest, at least in regards to the number of people who report having experienced them, Fruit Loops and Flintstones. 
Both of these are especially interesting because they continue to flip, and seemingly at a very frequent pace. I told a story of a guy who sat at his computer screen, having typed out the word Flint Stones a few times in a reply to someone online, and within the span of like five minutes, saw it alternate between its different versions, right in front of him. Flint Stones, Flynn Stones, back and forth, back and forth. He said he would just look away and look back, and it would be different every time. If that were to happen to me, I gotta say, I... Uh, I might be feeling a little a little antsy. All right, so Fruit Loops has been reported over the years as switching its spelling of fruit from F-R-U-I-T to F-R-O-O-T, where it currently sits. Back and forth, back and forth, forever and ever, but never really landing permanently, according to some. Now, when this cereal was first introduced, it was in fact spelled F-R-U-I-T. That was back in 1959. It is reported that there was this lawsuit against Kellogg's claiming that their product was misleading customers into believing that it actually contained fruit, when in reality, just like with most children's cereals, it was nothing but sugar. So, 1963 rolls around, and the currently accepted spelling of F-R-O-O-T was unveiled. But one only has to take a stroll through Reddit or Quora discussing the matter to see numerous examples of folks who have been experiencing flip-flopping variations in the spelling since 1963. A very interesting account can be found buried in a thread posted three years ago. Redditor Bluestone Mom posted at the time, stating that she had recently experienced the flip of Fruit Loops herself, not three weeks prior to the post. She claimed to have started making notes of the well-known ME she was coming across and putting them in her notes app on her phone. Whatever the spelling at the time, she noticed it, along with the date she took notice of it. As of her posting, she says that she had three weeks prior specifically made the note that Fruit Loops was at that time spelled F-R-U-I-T. Keep in mind, she's posting here on a thread where people are talking about it having just flipped to F-R-O-O-T. She says she immediately went back to her notes app and all of her notes were gone. Missing which can tie back to my experience going back to confirm what I know I had read and watched about the interview with the vampire. Just gone. Different. Raises some seriously concerning questions for me if this is happening to everyone on this massively grand scale and makes any proving of the Mandela effect all the more impossible. Existential crisis is baiting me right now. Not going to do it. I refuse. The Thinker statue is another big one that continues to change. This one gets a little tough to nail down with any official timeline, of course. Numerous people have experienced a flip of the hand to chin versus hand to forehead. But to add even more to the confusion, people also recall the hand being on the side of the face or at different times being held in a different way, i.e. clenched fist versus slack hand versus turned cupped hand versus different elbows on different knees and so on and so forth. The residue alone with this one still kind of boggles my mind. Something weird going on here, man. Um, people have experienced a flip-flop with the line in Apollo 13. Houston, we have a problem. To Houston, we've had a problem. And back to Houston, we have a problem. 
I'm not even going to look it up right now to confirm that that is what it currently is because it's just going to change again, apparently. Now, at the start of this season, I posted online in search of accounts with ME and glitches in the matrix. I specifically requested personal examples that maybe wouldn't be recognized on the grand scale. And I got a ton of response with this. Most of the stories contained your more recognizable Mandela effects, of course. The noticing of this stuff can be very life-altering, uh, reality-shaking to anyone on many levels. But I did receive numerous personal glitches and changes, things that only the person experiencing them would notice and feel shaken by. In my opinion, these are the golden nuggets. Because for the most part, these glitches or fritzes in somebody's reality, they just won't have any logical explanation. They are just these blanket, immediate changes. In the wider scheme of things, nobody else is going to care because it didn't happen to them, right? But to the experiencers, this is the kind of stuff on an individual level that will ultimately lead the masses to accepting that there is possibly something much bigger going on here. Imagine for a moment if every single person were to experience their own personal change or flip-flop or residue, even if it's completely different from what everyone else is experiencing, I think as a whole, the masses can then at the very least agree that something is awry. The man with the trimmer. No one else would care. No one else would know. But he did. It was a massive shift for him. And that ultimately led him to his consensus that there was something to the Mandela effect. There's um, there's another story sent in that I'll, I will try to include in the finale, time permitting. He had vivid memories of riding this four-wheeler during his youth for an entire summer. He had sensory detail memories of tearing up his forearms as he whipped through briar bushes because the handlebars were set so far apart. When he brought up this memory at a family function, no one else who had been around that summer and would have remembered this four-wheeler and the massive amount of time he spent on it could remember it ever having happened. And that person I mentioned before, he had had an interesting personal experience with the name of a restaurant he frequents called Zaxby's. He talks at length about this experience on his Twitch channel, which you can find by clicking any of the direct links I've included below for your convenience. Wanted to take a second to shout him out and his channel. He was kind enough to provide me with a record he has been keeping of many of the flip-flops he has cataloged over the years and, of course, as mentioned, alerted me to the interview with the vampire one. The flip he has experienced with Zaxby's is pretty extensive, flip-flopping for him a total of six or seven times and goes back numerous years. It's a simple one, alternating between a version of the restaurant name including an apostrophe and a version without. But you might imagine for someone who regularly frequents this establishment, this isn't just some small aggravating change. This would lead any enthusiast of Zaxby's to the point of yelling, hey, what the heck is going on around here? Especially when, as any good researcher might do in order to find a logical answer, and as he has already done, look it up to verify that this isn't just some ongoing trademark change. 
If you are interested in learning more about this particular one, maybe you are just now realizing that you too have been affected by it, check out those Twitch links I've included below and give Mr. RZ a follow. Uh, we do need to wrap things up here, so I'd briefly like to share a few more flip-flops people have experienced, and I'll include some Reddit links for you guys if you are interested in following along with any of them or your interest has just simply been piqued. Um, Bud Light flipped very quickly from what I understand, from the regular spelling to L-I-T-E and back again to regular. For some reason, this one does stick out to me as spelling it L-I-T-E in my mind does seem accurate or familiar somehow, though incorrectly spelled. Tidy cats altered to the singular tidy cat and back again. Pyramids of Giza switched to pyramids at Giza and back. Daylight Savings has had a rough one with this, switching to daylight saving, flip-flopping back to savings, and then Mandelaing itself yet again, landing on saving where it currently sits. So why is the occurrence of the flip-flop so important to the Emmy phenomenon? Experiencing a Mandela effect in and of itself can be pretty damn life-altering, but a flip-flop? If you know something to be true, and you're beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced it to be so, but then it changes to something else and is no longer true, but then it changes back to what you knew to originally be true, and God forbid it change again. It should not be hard to understand why this would play an important part in Emmy. Like I said, this has been the gateway down the Emmy rabbit hole for many a skeptic. Because you know what? That's the deal with skeptics. They aren't cynics. A skeptic is someone who may be open to believing, who has just not been shown the proof yet. So if skeptics are diving down this rabbit hole, and it's thanks to the flip-flop, that says to me, there's something here. But it's incredibly easy, and I agree that it is, for someone who has never had an experience with a flip-flop or a simple Mandela effect to brush it off, discount, debunk, or discredit these changes. But it's still happening Something is taking place. And it's freaky when it happens to you. You ever been in a situation where things get a little too real? Like, real, real? We tend to plod along in our lives one day to the next, never really expecting anything above and beyond the ordinary, more often than not creating our own drama and dangers in order to feel something, you know, some rush. But sometimes... Things happen to us in our lives that are so extraordinary that makes our hearts race, our stomachs drop, and even can cause us to question our own safety. I can imagine that is how you might feel as someone who experiences the paranormal for the first time, having never believed it to be true, let alone experiencing your very reality shift before your eyes. That is how it felt to me, because of a stupid vampire movie. Actually, I, I did quite like the film. I, I dig that kind of stuff. My tastes aside, no amount of a skeptical, oh, that's so convenient for you that you get to claim that things switch back to what they've always been because you just don't want to admit that you were wrong all along is going to convince me 
otherwise on this. I know what I saw. I know what I learned. I know what I read. And if that is the case with this one little teeny tiny change in a film title for me, then what does that say about all of the others we know about and maybe just haven't yet experienced at that level for ourselves? That's going to do it for today, folks. What do you guys think about these flip-flops? Is reality changing right before our eyes, or are we all off our rockers? I'd love to hear from you if you've had your own flip-flop experiences. This stuff can feel so lonely and like no one wants to listen because it didn't happen to them, so who cares? I care. I'm listening. Reach out to me at paranormgirlpod at gmail.com or message me over on the socials at at paranormgirlpod. Easy enough. You know what else is easy enough? Rating and reviewing. Enough said. Here's your final note. I wonder, has it ever occurred to skeptics of this phenomenon that the believers and supporters of it, those who have experienced Emmys one after the other, who have seen, heard, and felt the residue, who have personally witnessed the flip-flops, sometimes as they occur in real time, has it ever occurred to the skeptics that the believers have already considered the possibility that they're crazy? That that possibility may have been the very first consideration in their minds? Because what else were they to think? This is all extremely out of the ordinary. But I assume, as it has happened now in my own reality, that as the phenomenon continued to progress, and more and more Emmys were revealing themselves. But nothing else in the world was changing for them quite like this was, that the only logical conclusion they could arrive at was that they weren't, in fact, crazy. This feels like something outside of me, bigger than me, happening out there, in the real world, not in here, inside of my own isolated mind. Let that sink in for a second. That no other paranormal phenomenon out there today can quite compare to the Mandela effect. Not on this level, affecting so many people, and yet no other paranormal phenomenon has this much denial attached to it. It's kind of funny, actually, that the only paranormal phenomenon that actually has a physical presence possible evidence is changing, is growing constantly, and it's staring us right in our faces. And it's dismissed so quickly. For whatever reason, it is just easier to be skeptical with this one. I really did start this season more that way than not. But it's important in this, and in all things, to remain open-minded, ready to accept our conclusion. And you're going to have some time to really think about all that we've learned and come up with your own belief on the matter. I hope you'll join me on the next episode for Paranorm Girl's second ever conversation with a believer. It'll be a nice reprieve from the Emmy chaos and a wonderful guest. We will talk channeling, dreams, visions, apparitions, 
and more. I am so honored to have this fascinating conversation with someone who has lived alongside the paranormal since childhood. You're going to love it and her. And then immediately following is the big season finale. Going to treat it just like I did the first finale. I will plan on the margarita this time and we'll just see what what I end up with. It's going to be a celebration, y'all. Be there. And I will announce the chosen topic for season three. If you haven't already, get your suggestions in. Like I said, I'll shout you out. I'll shout you out, man. Final thought on this strange pairing of different subjects on this episode. Be the skeptic waiting for proof and the believer who already knows. Have a great week, you guys. Until we meet again, stay safe. Keep the nightlight on and sleep with one eye open. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.